Amen. Go ahead and get in your Bible to Psalm chapter 50. Psalm chapter 50. We're actually nearing the end of uh, our class in here. Our last uh, session of Marriage 101 uh, is the last Sunday of August. And, um, and then uh, basically uh, Greg uh, and Ted will be taking over uh, my auditorium class. I'm excited about that. And do a great job, and then I'm going to start a new uh, young couples class um, uh, from some of the young couples that were uh, uh, already in my class and from some folks that are in here that don't have a Sunday school class and just some other uh, folks I've been praying for and trying to reach out to. And so I'm excited about that. It should be in Psalm chapter 50. Uh, it's wonderful that everybody's here to invest in their marriage. And though some people here have been married a long time, some people close to being married, some people just a short time, we do have this common uh, denominator. Uh, we all want to make uh, our marriages better, and I think that's a wonderful goal. Uh, good intentions are not enough. Uh, love for one another is not enough, and if it were, 99% of marriages would work because everybody that gets married uh, loves each other and has good intentions. Uh, so certainly more than that. And that's what we've been studying and talking about together. Uh, before we uh, answer some questions you turned in, uh, I'm just going to go over the same nine things I go over all the time. I hope by now you're letting them sink deeply in your heart. If you feel like you have them in your heart, then maybe when someone at work or in your family talks to you about one of these issues, you'll already have this planted in your heart and you'll be able to be a, a help to them. Uh, number one, nothing can be taken back that's been done uh, uh, to uh, this point, what's done is done. Number two, all that any of us can hope to change is today and tomorrow. Uh, by the grace of God, uh, they can change and be better. Number three, if you're struggling, you didn't get where you are in a day. You didn't get where you are in a week. You didn't get where you are in a month. Uh, you're not going to get out in a week or <laughs> a month. Uh, but by the grace of God, you can uh, get out. Uh, number four, there's only one person you can control in this world. Uh, I just ask in this class, you focus on that one. And if you focus on that one person in this world you can control in your home, it will make your home uh, better. Uh, two people out of control is always worse than one person out of control. So if you can just stay under control, uh, it'll make a huge difference. Number five, there's always hope as long as God is involved. Uh, God is love. Uh, you can begin to love if you never loved. You can love more if you don't love enough. You can love again if you don't love anymore. Uh, somebody sarcastically said the trouble with some women is they get all excited about nothing and then they marry him. Uh, somebody more wisely said love doesn't have a happy ending because true love never ends. Somebody also said uh, love is not a 50-50 give and take. Love is giving 100%. And seeking nothing uh, in return. Number six, no one is destined to repeat the home in which you were raised. If your home was bad, uh, you can succeed. Number seven, no one's assured to have a great marriage. If you grew up in a home and your parents had a great marriage, you can fail. Number eight, the marriage that you have now is the marriage you're supposed to be working on. Number nine, the person to whom you're married now is the person to whom you're supposed to be married. Uh, here's the first question. Uh, question one, should I step up and make known what's really bothering me? It's a touchy subject. Uh, I just remind everybody from last week, you don't really need to talk about everything with your spouse. 
As I said last week, I, I think that is dumb marital advice. If you have not grown enough to understand that some of the things that go through your mind are not good, they're not of God, uh, then you, you don't realize just how corrupt your heart and, and mind are. But there are some things that marriage partners do need to talk about, even if the other spouse doesn't want to hear it. Ask yourself some questions. Does my spouse need to know this? Is this something my spouse can do something about? Uh, will talking about this cause more pain than value in what it might fix? Uh, will it help them to know? You know, when you ask those kinds of questions, will the Lord be pleased to talk about this subject? Uh, you will then know whether you should talk about them. And if it's something you should talk about, it's a touchy subject, your spouse doesn't want to uh, address it, same thing as always. Pick a couple of clear examples, make the issue a matter of prayer, pick a good time, and then have the conversation in a good tone. And um, that is the best way to, to handle that. Question number two, how can I help my parents' marriage? Uh, there's only one marriage you can directly help. <laughs> That's your own. Uh, now, there are some things you can do to indirectly help your parents' marriage if they're interested in being helped. Uh, start with a good example uh, in your own marriage. Uh, a lot of times we, we make the mistake of thinking that if I haven't gotten to talk to them about this, therefore I haven't done anything. Uh, when in reality, in, in most of life, it is almost always our example that speaks the loudest. And so first, be a good uh, example. Uh, do what you can do. If uh, they're not in a biblical church, to get in a biblical church. Um, come in the side door. You know, uh, get some copies of, of this class and say, hey, you know what? Uh, we went to this class. It was really a help to us. You know, I, I, I thought you might uh, like it too. And um, give them a copy of that. And, uh, but just never forget this. You don't have any authority over your parents' home any more than they have authority over your home now that you don't live in the house. Uh, but influence, uh, a lot of times that is more important than authority. Um, question number three, if my husband is not a leader, should I step up and bring this up to him uh, so he will step up? Um, if your husband's not a good leader, uh, he already knows that. You can either help him become a better leader or you can make him worse. Um, every man does not have to be a great leader. Every man needs to be a good enough leader to lead his own home. And I believe, by the grace of God, every man has the capability of being a good enough leader to lead his own home. Remember, as a wife, you have the power... Uh, to make him uh, better or, or to make him worse. You can't make him, per se, become a, a strong leader, but, but you can put him in circumstances that really help him. When he does something good as a leader, compliment him. Uh, it makes a big difference. Do everything you can to not nitpick uh, decisions he makes. I, I get it that there's some things that have to be talked about, but... You know, you know, you really, uh, one of the most important aspects of being a good leader is you have to have some confidence. 
And you can either help him be confident or take some of that away. And honestly, just to encourage some of you ladies, I've known some ladies to make some pretty good leaders out of their husbands who, when they started, I mean, he was just a slopwad. And so you really have a lot of influence in this area. Question number four, my spouse gets upset when I repeatedly ask them to do the same chores. How can I get them to realize how much this bothers me? Well, if you're repeatedly reminding them, uh, they already know that this bothers you. You, you, you know, I mean, sometimes our, our thinking on some of this stuff is just crazy. Um, first, you, you need to honestly consider what you're asking for. Is what you're asking for reasonable? Uh, have you and your spouse sat down and uh, talked about who's going to be responsible for what? based on how much you're away from the home. I do not agree, I do not like this whole idea where a husband and wife both work 40 hours and then the husband comes home and sits in the chair and everything in the house is her responsibility. I mean, what's up with that? You know, based on who has the hours that are available to them, you know, you ought to divide up the work. And if you don't do that, I mean, how do you ever appreciate what someone does? And, and, and so, I mean, start there. And, and until you've done that, you, you can't even really understand whether what you're expecting is something that's reasonable or not. And if you take an honest look at it, and you guys have talked about this, you know, either formally or informally, just have some way of dividing things up, uh, and it's not getting done, uh, pick a couple of clear examples, make the issue a matter of prayer, uh, pick a good time, pick a good tone, and have the discussion. Um, fact of the matter is, a lot of times it takes people a long time to grow into their roles. Uh, I will confess my sins. When, when, when we were early in our marriage, I did not do uh, handle my role in the home very well as far as uh, stuff I should have done around the home. I had to grow into it. Uh, fortunately, my wife was gracious and, and patient and you know, for a long time, I mean, she hung up all the pictures and all the stuff that I, I really could have been doing. And um, you know what? Sometimes, ladies, you need to be patient, and you can make your husband a better man, or you can tear him down, and he'll just give up. Uh, question number five, what do you do when you are the primary disciplinary parent and the other parent is always the good and fun person? Um, this is almost a, a question for... Uh, our parenting class that, uh, if the Lord tarries, we won't do it next summer, but it, it's appropriate because we, we just finished a couple of weeks on fair fighting or, or how to disagree, uh, you know, well and, and not hurt your spouse. Um, the first thing is, is almost always in every relationship, one parent is more discipline-minded than the other. Now, occasionally, you have one, uh, both people that are, uh, but, boy, pray to God that you have at least one. Because if you have two people who are poor at disciplinary things, I mean, understand, you are going to raise a spoiled, unproductive brat who will be an unproductive human being as an adult. Um, but whoever it is, is who's a disciplinarian, you're going to just have to live with the fact that um, when your children are young, a lot of times they're not going to understand. The other thing I would say to you is that 
if you're consistent in your discipline, you can be pretty tough as long as you balance that with relationship. And what, what I'm talking about is that you are not just a disciplinarian in their life. You are that. You will also uh, make effort to spend time with them, make effort to do what they're doing, make effort to be interested in what they're in. And when you balance that with relationship, I, I think uh, that's good. And you just pretty much probably for a while you're going to have to live with the fact that um, you're looked at as the bad guy. Understand that when your child grows up, if Jesus tarries, pretty much they will love the parent who was the lenient one and they will respect uh, the parent who made them do what they should have been, been doing. Again, in an ideal world, both parents uh, have, have balance between discipline and fun. Um, now, which gets us to our subject today, which is a subject I'm sure that's going to interest everyone, but sadly, the aspect we're going to talk about today is not going to interest everyone. Uh, and the reason for that is uh, we're not interested in the foundation for this. We're interested in uh, some of the practical aspects. Uh, one of the major areas where every husband and wife disagree and fight is over how we handle our money. Um, the two areas where people have the strongest feelings are how do we handle our money, how do we handle the kids. You know, those, those things, uh, we have strong feelings about them, and it's no surprise that we can get into some pretty sharp disagreements over both of those things. There's not a couple here who has been married any length of time at all that hasn't had some disagreements and hard feelings related to money in one way or another. But before we can talk about the practical aspect of this, which is bank accounts, spending money, extra purchases, credit cards, uh, building a budget, all of those kinds of things, um, we have to establish a foundation because when we understand the foundation of money, then it basically puts us in a position where we can work out the details much more easily of how to handle it. Uh, because our creator, uh, he has a basic plan for every key area of life. I, I mean, listen, there's not a parent here who doesn't want your child to have a blessed life. And, and don't think for a second that you love your kids more than our God loves us. And so understand, because his desire is that we have a blessed life, he's got a plan for handling our money. should be in your Bible in Psalm chapter 50. This week we're going to lay a foundation uh, for handling our money. Uh, Psalm chapter 50, verse 10. Psalm 50, verse 10 says, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee. For the world is mine and the fullness thereof. It's no surprise to learn that's God talking there. Here's the first foundational stone of handling our money. Everything belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. Turn back just a few pages to Psalm 24. And this is repeated all through the scriptures. These are just a real couple of clear statements. Verse 1 of Psalm 24, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. It's not just the earth, it's they that dwell therein that belong to him. It's not just the cattle, the gold and the silver, the birds and the beasts of the field. Everything belongs to God. 
Um, in fact, if you're saved, you belong to God. Uh, what? Know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Um, now, if you know God well, and if you are confident in who God is, that doesn't bother you a bit. When you know that God is love and that God is good and, and that God is ultimately working everything out for the good of our planet and, and for the good of his people and for the good of everything involved, when you know that and you're confident in that, it doesn't bother you much at all that God owns everything. He owns the earth and everything on it. He owns us. It doesn't bother us at all. But if you don't know that and you don't have any faith, it probably bothers you a lot because... We don't like the way a lot of things go. But, but understand this. If you and I don't acknowledge first that everything belongs to God, we will never handle our money properly. Many of you ever really thought about this? The health to make money comes by the grace of God. Do you know there's a lot of people who would like to make money, but they don't have the health to make money? Have you ever thought about any abilities that you have, any skills you've obtained, any education that you have, you have that because of the grace of God. There are people who have the health to work, and they wish they had more ability, they wish they had some skill, they wish they had education, uh, but if you have those, you have those by the grace of God. Did you realize that the opportunity to work and make money comes by the grace of God? Do you realize there are people with health, education and skill who wish they could have a job if you have one you have that by the grace of god have you thought about this our financial ruin or blessing whether we have health education skill and employment that's all in god's hands if you haven't come to realize that literally any one of us are one phone call away or one set of squealing breaks away from everything changing, you've not come to realize just how volatile life is. You see, this whole foundational truth uh, that everything belongs to God, it's contrary to our basic thinking that what I have belongs to me. By the way, we all think that way because we're selfish. We are naturally selfish, every one of us. And we either have yielded to God's Spirit to make that a little bit better, or we're not yielded to God's Spirit, and that is just reigning in our heart. Now, because God, uh, everything belongs to God, He has the authority uh, over who gets what portion of His stuff and how much they get. Uh, by the way, Bill Gates, uh, when I checked this week, he's worth $104 billion. Um, as far as I know, uh, gives no acknowledgement to the creator, the God of the Bible, as far as, far as I know. Uh, my grandparents, um, on the family farm where I grew up in, in Michigan, they had a 65-acre farm that uh, my grandfather received by, in, uh, you know, from his family, been in that family since 1828, uh, 65 acres. Uh, he worked from dawn to dusk, Monday through Saturday, and they had only enough, basically, to have food and pay their taxes. 
um, he was a person of faith. And they would shut their family fruit stand down on, on Sundays as, a, as an acknowledgement of that. I mean, if you, there was a sign there in the thing in, in hand-painted letters from, from my grandfather, uh, closed Sunday. Um, that was how they acknowledged their faith with everything they have. Uh, as a kid, it used to irritate the daylights out of me. Somebody would come into the barn and they'd give them stuff. I'm like, hey, we got nothing. What are you giving that away for? Get their money. I mean, people would come in with needs. They would give them stuff. He would hire them, uh, all kinds of stuff. I, I remember one time I was probably about nine or ten and I'd worked all morning in the potato field. Uh, you pick potatoes up off the ground. This a digger throws them out on the ground. And I think we got 15 cents or 20 cents a bushel. And then we got a dollar for loading and unloading them off the wagon. And a couple of guys came when we were almost done. And they might have picked one bushel of potatoes. They loaded them. And my grandfather gave them like two bucks. And I had done all this work. And I had like three bucks. Man, I was livid. And I went to him afterwards. I said, well, what's up? I mean, I worked all that, and you give him three bucks? And here's he said, and I didn't know it was in the Bible. He says, hey, it's my stuff. I'm going to do with it what I want. I said, why well, quit? And he said, fine. And so I went over next door, popped it, and come back to work the next morning. You know, as we look at the distribution of stuff, we don't look at it like God looks at it. It all belongs to him. Everything belongs to him. Uh, go back to just a couple pages of Psalm 17. In, 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 notice what it says in verse 13. It says, uh, Arise, O Lord, disappoint him, cast him down, deliver my soul from the wicked, which is thy sword, from men which are thy hand, O Lord, from men of this world, which have their portion in this life. See, some people get their portion in this life, and some people don't have much of a portion in this life, and if they have faith in Christ, uh, their portion's in the next life. And if we don't, by faith, acknowledge that everything belongs to God and that you and I are just stewards of everything we have, no matter what it is you have, no matter what it is my wife and have, I have, it all belongs to God. We are just stewards of God's stuff. Go back to Malachi chapter 3. And, and again, understanding that everything you have belongs to God and that you belong to God, it doesn't bother you at all when you know who God is. In fact, when you know who God is, you're glad that everything you have belongs to God instead of you. Because if you really understand the kind of person that you are in your heart and mind, and you're honest about it, you'll be glad it belongs to God and not you. Everything belongs to God. It's a foundational principle. Here's the second foundational principle. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. It says, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? Here's the answer. Tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse, for you robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. 
And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Here's the second thing. We demonstrate our faith and acknowledgement that everything belongs to God by giving him the first tenth. That's what the word tithe means. It means one-tenth. Now, if you come here very much, if you knew, you won't know this, but if you've come here very much, you know that I don't harp on money here all the time. In fact, I rarely uh, talk about it. Uh, I do believe in tithing. It's a part of our uh, leader covenants. And if you're somebody who is uh, illiterate biblically enough to say, well, tithing's under the law and we're under grace, you, you, you have no idea what you're talking about. I mean, tithing didn't begin with the Old Testament Jews. It began with Abraham. And then when Jacob got right with God in Genesis, he gave God the tithe. And yes, Old Testament Jews were commanded to tithe. I mean, but understand uh, that we're supposed to do more, not less, living under grace. In fact, if you take notes, write down Matthew 23, 23. Jesus taught that we should tithe. And I'm not here this morning to discuss whether we ought to tithe in the gross or the net or uh, gifts or anything like that. I'm just here to say, listen, we're supposed to do it. And we have never demonstrated our love for anybody when we do the least we can do. I mean, but understand this. When you and I refuse to acknowledge God with our tithe, we are going to miss some blessings God wants to give to his children. He said there that when we do that and we bring it into the storehouse, into his house, uh, he will open the windows of heaven. Uh, Tithing doesn't make anybody rich. But you will have more than you would have had if you refused to tithe. I mean, that's what uh, the windows of heaven being open. I mean, that's the referring to, it's like a little, it's a symbol, it's a hyperbole of, of the blessings of God coming to us. Uh, go in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And I, like I said, I knew you would not be interested in this lesson very much because we want to get to the practical aspects of handling our money. But the fact of the matter is, if we don't understand these basic aspects of handling our money... I mean, we're never going to handle all the rest of this, the practical details of handling our money. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, it says, But this I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap bountifully. Every man as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Now notice in verse 7, he determines the context of the sowing in verse 6. The sowing sparingly and reaping sparingly, sowing bountifully, reaping bountifully. What he's talking about here is in verse 7, so let him give. And he basically says, listen, if you're going to give sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. If you're going to give bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. Tithing will not make you rich, but you'll have more than you would have had if you refused to tithe. Uh, There's blessings associated with. Uh, Keep the tithe for yourself. It will not likely make you poor. But you will have less in life than you would have had if you chose to tithe. Um, Here's the thing, though. Probably worse than missing the blessings of God blessing our finances, uh, we demonstrate 
that we really don't have faith that everything we have belongs to God when we refuse to tithe. We tithe by faith. Have you ever really thought about this? That nearly every key issue of life, nearly every major decision, somehow has an aspect of faith involved in it. Hey, have you thought about this? What will we do with our Sundays? Is it my day or is it the Lord's day? Listen, if we ask that question by faith, it changes our answer. Uh, How will we treat the people who mistreat us? If we have faith, we answer that question differently than if we don't have faith. What kind of morality will I choose in my life? Again, if we have faith, it, it, it affects what kind of... These are major areas of life. How, what will I choose? How will we raise our children and what priorities will we live with as a family? You know, whether we have faith, it affects those decisions. How will we handle our money as a couple? Faith impacts that. Will you and I decide to believe what God says about this issue, or will we believe how we feel about it? Will I believe that me and my family are better off on the 90% than I would have if we lived on 100%? Will I believe God's going to provide somehow as I obediently give the money that remains, that money that I have, and handle the money that remains well? I mean, understand, primarily God provides for us through us working diligently and him opening up opportunities through uh, your and my reliability, integrity, and diligence. Will I adjust my lifestyle to live on 90% of my income, or will I refuse? Do, Do you see how all these are actually issues of faith? Will I believe that the lifestyle and the amount of things I can afford on 90% is actually better for me than if I was spending it all? These are all issues of faith. I personally believe that people will have better jobs and more stuff living on 90% than they ever would just keeping all of their money for themselves as if everything belonged to them and not to God. And as I said earlier, the two most telling marks of the depth of our faith are how do we handle our children, how do we handle our money. If you really want to know your heart, look at those two things, if you really want to know. Now, I'm not teaching this because I want your money. Uh, To be quite honest with you, I don't have the spiritual gift of giving. I'm not a natural giver like that. And, you know, my wife and I... This was something that was very difficult for us. We were not raised this way. I'm just teaching you this because I want you to have a blessed home. I want you to have a blessed marriage. By the way, you you do this. It doesn't mean you're never going to lose your job. It doesn't mean your car is never going to break. It doesn't mean nobody's ever going to get sick. Uh, What it means is that you will be better off obeying God in this area of your life than not. Which gets us to our next thing. Please go in your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. We're just laying a foundation so that uh, next week if Christ tarries and Nicaragua decides to let me out of the country. That we can begin to talk about the practical aspects of 
handling our money together. Here's number three. Our heart will follow what we choose as our treasure. By the way, this is a life principle. Notice what it says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. It says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If that verse is not highlighted or underlined in your Bible in some way, you ought to do that. That is a life principle that applies to lots of things. Uh, And then he closes out the subject in verse 24. For no man can serve two masters. For you either hate the one and love the other, or else you'll hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And by the way, when I have a word, I don't know what it means. Like I would circle that word mammon. And then I would just draw a little line over to my margin, and I would just put money. That's what the word mammon means, means riches. And uh, the first principle here from verse 21 is our heart will be on whatever or whosoever is our treasure. Listen, if you and I treasure sports above all, our heart's going to go to sports. If you and I decide to treasure our job above all, our heart will go to our work. If you and I treasure our spouse and our family, our heart will go on our spouse and family. If you and I choose to treasure our money first, our heart will be in our money. If we decide to treasure God and the things of God first, then our heart will follow what we choose for our treasure, and our heart will be on God and the things of God. Listen, our heart will go to whatever we choose to treasure. I do not buy this whole... uh, idea that you know what we we just drifted apart no you chose not to you chose to let you do that you you and me are are not like uh plants that just by programming will go towards the sun uh you and i are rational creatures by virtue of the way our creator made us and if we let our heart go to something else it's because we let it happen You and I choose our treasure, and then our heart will naturally follow that. And then Jesus taught it is impossible to serve God in riches. So if we put our heart on our riches, you cannot serve God like you should. I didn't say that. Jesus did. Here's a good statement. If you write statements down, write this down. Seek God first, and you'll always have enough money. Seek money first and you'll never have enough money. (laughs) Seek God first and you'll always have enough money. I didn't say you'll have as much as you want. Listen, my wanter is out of sight. And so is yours. Seek God first and you'll always have enough money. Seek money first and you will never have enough. Listen, probably everybody in this room has lived long enough already now to have made as much money as what at one point in time in your life you thought if I made that I'd have enough. And then you got there and then you decide your wanter wanted more. Which gets us to our last thing, which is, begins to get practical. Warming up for next week. Go back in your Bible to Proverbs chapter 22. Everything belongs to God. We are just stewards. We begin by demonstrating our faith in that, by giving God the first tenth. 
Our heart will follow whatever we choose to treasure. And here's our last thing, and I have uh, 150 seconds. Minimize your debt and guard against bad debt. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7. says, The rich ruleth over the poor. By the way, that's not just in capitalism. That's everywhere. Uh, and the borrower is servant to the lender. That's a principle. You are a servant to whoever you owe money to. The borrower is servant to the lender. Now, I, I, I'm not sure. You could probably argue about this, but there's probably no such thing as good debt. But some debt is much better debt than others. I mean, you might argue that if you had some property that you were sure would go up, um, that's not bad debt. Uh, but sometimes property we're sure is going to go up doesn't go up. I mean, our house is, was not an expensive house. I think it was $160,000. Its value went down $35,000. It's a sure thing. Property in Fairfield. Now, while there may not be anything as good debt, there's some debt that's really, really, really bad. Uh, starting with credit card debt. We'll get into that more uh, next week. <laughs> Um, but here's the deal for today. Avoid as much debt as you can and get out of credit card debt as soon as possible. <laughs> and we'll stop there uh, because I'm out of time. See, now we've laid a foundation so we can begin to talk about should I combine my bank accounts? Should we have credit cards? How can we afford all the toys my husband wants? Should we build a budget? What do you do when a spouse, one spouse makes more money than the other spouse and they call all the money their money? Uh, how should we make decisions about major purchases? How should we make decisions about minor purchases? Uh, how much spending of money should we uh, be allowed? Uh, those are all great questions, and we disagree over them. But we'll have to get to that next week. You should have a little paper there. Write down some kind of a question or an interesting drawing. And don't you dare draw me missing my wallet uh, this week. Whoever drew me kicking... I'm being kicked in the face by my wife two weeks ago. But write something on that, fold it in half, and then just stick it up here. God bless you. You're dismissed.